Well, I was looking around and certainly honored that all of you decided to show up this morning. Then it dawned on me, you guys are late on chapel requirements, aren't you? <laughs> but uh, I get a lot of people that ask me, you know, so how's the transition going? You know, uh, football coach to pastor, you know, how's that been? And, and uh, it's kind of a tough, tough question to answer. You know, as a football coach, kind of your success, it's, it's more objective. You know, every Saturday you kind of find out how you're doing a little bit. You know, wins and losses, recruiting, that sort of thing. Those things are, are more concrete. As a pastor, you know, sometimes you're not going to know until, until heaven. Uh, but sometimes God gives you just little glimpses uh, of how you're doing. Just the other night, uh, Ethan is, is my five-year-old, and, and he shares a bedroom with with our middle son, Jake, and he's 12. And uh, nighttime or bedtime around my house, it's a struggle. It's a fight. Uh, you know, kids don't want to go to bed. But, so I'll go in, I'll put them down, I'll pray with them. And then every single night, I'll start to walk out. And, and Ethan, the five-year-old, he's got about 38 different questions he wants to ask. None of them make any sense just off the top of his head. So the other night, I just finally had to say, Ethan, good night, and I closed the door. Right in the middle of one of his questions. And so about three minutes later, Jake comes out, and he's like, Dad, i got to tell you something. When you close that door, Ethan got so mad, he said, good dads don't do stuff like that. And, and certainly good pastors don't either. <laughs> so that's how it's going. Apparently. <laughs> but uh, we, we find ourselves this morning in Mark 15. And as uh, you all have been working through the book of Mark this year, we come to a point in time in history which is really the climax of all history. God has, in, in His sovereign decree, He has established the, His Son coming to earth and the works that He's done on earth all lead to one point in time, and that's the cross. And we're just about there. Everything that God wants to show you, everything God wants to show me, everything He wants to reveal about Himself, we can see, for the most part, at the cross. And so, in anticipation of that, Mark is getting to the point where he's, he's almost there. You can kind of... Hear Mark's excitement as he is retelling these events uh, that, that happened. And so Mark 15, 1 through 15, if you follow along with me on the screen, Mark writes to us, he says, Just as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes in the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many cha charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? 
For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And so we now come to this place in Mark's account that lead up to the, the, the climax of all history. And at this point in time in history, Rome had given the Jews much leeway in the carrying out of their religious and, and, um, and, and what they, the rules that they had uh, in the enforcement and punishment of sin. However, they were not allowed to execute a lawbreaker without the consent and conviction of a Roman court. And these Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead, but they couldn't do it on their own. They needed Rome. And so this is where we find ourselves in this section. Remember last time, Jesus had been arrested and he'd been taken and tried on on the Jewish leader's terms and according to the false testimony of several witnesses whose account was consistent. It It was inconsistent. It was false. But regardless, they accused and convicted Jesus of blasphemy. But blasphemy was not a capital punishment in Rome. It wasn't deserving of death. So they had to come up with something different. And they brought Jesus before Pilate and accused him of high treason. This man says that he is king of the Jews. He's no friend of Rome. He wants to turn on Rome. And his claim to be king of the Jews was used against him in order to convince Rome, to convince Pilate that Jesus was a threat to their empire. So here Jesus stands in front of this Roman judge listening to the accusations against him. Accusations that, if proven true, would condemn him to death. This morning, much of what I want to talk to you about comes from my heart. As Gabe mentioned, I spent 15 years here at Sterling College. You all are dear to me. And I want you to understand the importance in your need for Jesus Christ. And as we look at this section, we're going to see the relationship that Jesus had with four different groups of people or four different people in this section where they missed Him. They missed who He was. And it cost them. It cost them for eternity. The first one we see is Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor at this time, stationed in Jerusalem. He'd been there for about 10 years. And the Roman governors at this time, over these provinces, they were given three three main areas of authority. They had authority over the military, they had authority to collect taxes, and then they had the authority to judge in matters concerning concerning Rome. So here Pilate is acting as judge. He's the primary judge. He's the final court of appeal for Israel in Rome. In a sense, he's the legal mouthpiece for Rome to Israel. And so this man alone has the authority to condemn or to acquit. He alone has the authority, the judicial authority over executions in this region. 
This man tried to acquit Jesus, as we see. He found no reason for his death. And despite Rome's political corruption, most of the Roman officials had a, a, an appreciation for justice. And in most cases, they tried all they could to, to bring justice to bear on these cases. And he tried time and time again for Jesus to defend himself. But Jesus, was a, he had nothing to do with it. He knew, Pilate knew the envy and the motives behind the Jews. He knew they hated Jesus. But he also knew that Jesus was innocent and did nothing deserving of death. In fact, the other accounts of the Gospel writers reveal to us that Pilate repeatedly stated that he found no fault in Jesus. But Pilate missed Jesus. Pilate ended up cowering to the request of the religious leaders. He feared the mob to the disgrace and ruin of his own soul. Pilate was like a ship on the ocean that lost all power, tossed to and fro by the wind and waves. He had no power of its own to end up where only in disaster. See, Pilate lacked the courage to stand for what he knew was right. He feared a riot and he feared man. See, Pilate didn't ask what was right. Pilate asked what was safe. He didn't ask what was popular, or he did ask what was popular. He was more concerned about his welfare and popularity than he was about truth. He had no idea of his great need for Jesus Christ. He had no idea that Jesus was actually God. Pilate thought that he was the one who was in control of these events, when all along we know that it was Jesus. Pilate thought that he was in control of this event in his own eternity. And in Pilate's arrogant pride, it caused him to miss his greatest need. His hope was in something that would come crashing down when he lost his political position and Rome fell. He missed Jesus and it cost him his salvation. It cost him his eternity. I know out there outside these walls, there's a lot of pilots. But my fear is that possibly there's some sitting in here today. You've heard of Jesus. And in many ways, He, he can be intriguing to you. He was a great teacher. He was a great leader. He did many, many things for the people. But His life has no bearing on your life, you think. His life 2,000 years ago has no relevance to today. See, those like Pilate don't have any need for Christ because the world, sin, reputation, and pride are more important to them than He is. The fact is, the truth of who Jesus is and what He came to earth to do is relevant. It has eternal consequences and it has present consequences. Please don't dismiss him and pass him off. Pilate did. And it cost him his soul forever. Don't miss the only hope you have. The second relationship or interaction that was going on in this section is 
is the religious leaders and how they were reacting to Jesus. And again, Paul refers to these men as the chief priests. These are the men who had Jesus arrested in the middle of the night prior to this event. And these are the men that for years had control over Jewish life in Israel. Their position and the rules and regulations they created gave them what appeared to be righteousness that was in line with God's law. And this brought them power and respect and honor, authority and great influence in this Jewish culture. But when Jesus shows up, He challenges all of this. He turns their Jewish religion on, their, on its head. See, Jesus taught that man-made laws, the man-made laws of these leaders are not in line with Scripture. Jesus said their authority was not from themselves, it came only from and extended only as far as Scripture allowed. He didn't mind stepping on these men's toes. There was no doubt in their dealings with Jesus that He knew they were usurping their authority. They were manipulating, pious, arrogant, and proud. They thought that keeping their law was righteousness, and they wanted nothing to do with this guy who claimed otherwise. Jesus was a threat to all these men had. All of their power, all their influence, all their authority, Jesus came and He told them it was over. They had none. Jesus claimed to be the one who had the authority and power, and then He proved it by His teaching that was full of wisdom, and He, and he proved it by the miracles that He performed. He healed the sick. He took the crippled hand of a man and He made it whole. He took the lame legs of men and women who couldn't walk, and He caused them to walk again. He showed up at at tombs filled with dead bodies, and he called out Lazarus, and Lazarus came forth alive. And these things far exceeded anything the religious leaders were capable of. Time and time again, Jesus proved that he was not just from God, but was God. And this meant an end to these religious rulers' rule. And they were envious. They knew it, and they wanted him dead. And their envy drove them in this desire. See, they were counting on their own righteousness to be right with God. They didn't need Jesus. They had themselves. And in many ways, they were like Pilate, except for the fact that they knew. They knew who Jesus was. And they still rejected him. They wanted his place of honor. They wanted his place of authority, and they were willing to do anything to keep it. Again, a lot of people like this outside, outside these walls. But again, my fear is that there may be some who struggle with this in their own life, who, who in some ways represent religion, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. People who think they can earn their own salvation by their good works and their own righteousness. People who think the throne is theirs and Jesus is the only thing that's keeping them from it. They see no need for Jesus' life, death, or resurrection because they got it. 
Their hope is in themselves. It's in their own righteousness and in their own goodness. And that God needs them more than they need God. See, Jesus is a threat to these people because he demands perfection, not just an adherence to a certain set of rules that they make for themselves. The third group of people that we see that I want to discuss this morning is the crowd. Who is this crowd? It's kind of an interesting group. These men and women in this crowd were obviously deceived. They believed wrongly. Their belief of who Jesus was was not according to truth. See, some of these men and women were some of the very men and women who several days prior had just ushered Jesus in on a donkey into Jerusalem, singing praises and pronouncing Him King and glorifying and honoring Him. Many of these people had witnessed firsthand the miracles that Jesus had performed. Just, just imagine seeing some of these things with your own eyes. Jesus making a blind man see, a lame man walk, a dead man live. It's incredible that there were real people who witnessed these real events. And some of the men and women in this crowd were some of those people. They would have heard Jesus' teaching and His authority would have exceeded that of the religious leaders of His day. And they missed Jesus. They missed the truth of who Jesus was and is. See, these men and women were looking for a political leader. They were looking for somebody to ride in on a stallion with a sword and drive Rome out. what they wanted. And in what they wanted, they missed what they needed. And once they find out that, found out that Jesus was not who they thought He was, they turned on Him. And they cried out, crucify Him. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. They didn't want to be saved from the eternal consequences of their sin. They wanted to be saved from a temporary ruler. See, Jesus came to cure their disease that they could never cure. And all they ever wanted was a band-aid hoping that it would dissolve a brain tumor. They missed Him. They missed the truth of who Jesus was all because they didn't understand what they really needed. Again, many of these men and women outside these walls. But who here can, can associate, can identify with people in this crowd. See, Jesus didn't come to earth to live a life that we could never live, to die a death that we all deserve so that we might have ease and comfort in this life. He came for much more than that. Please understand that. There's a lot of pagans out there that have comfort and ease in life. He came so that we might have life eternal life. He came to save us from the eternal wrath of God, not temporary ease. He came to make a way for us that we may be right with God and with our fellow man. 
Please don't miss this. And many on their time here on earth have. They were deceived because they missed the truth of who Jesus was and why He was there. Don't miss Him. Don't be deceived. And don't miss Him. Because what you need is far more greater than what you want. Fourthly, this next group of people are the group of people we don't see here. Where are the disciples at? Where are these men who had followed Him for three years prior to this and learned from Him and affirmed their, their allegiance to Him? Where are they at? Well, they all ran off the night before and hid. They were scared. They're nowhere to be found. They're not in the crowd trying to convince Pilate to let Jesus go. They were scared. They were confused. They couldn't believe this was happening. And yet they still believed. They had left all they had ever known to follow and serve Jesus. They were committed to Him. They knew He was God. And that He was the, and he was the author of life and salvation. They did not miss Jesus. And even though they were nowhere to be found, they were, however, silent. And yet, Jesus is going to use them in mighty ways to let the world know who He is. It was these men that Jesus chose to spread the good news of the Gospel to India, to France, present-day France, Iraq and Iran, all of these areas, these men brought the gospel to. The northern parts of Africa. These men didn't stay silent. They proclaimed who Jesus was. And God used them in mighty and big ways. The message that they proclaimed, the good news of Jesus Christ and His life, death, and resurrection sounded loudly from their mouths in this time. Again, I want to encourage you, if you are here this morning and you fit into this, this category, if you know Christ and acknowledge, that, acknowledge your need for His righteousness, if you are here and you understand that more times than not we want to hide and run in fear, but we're too often silent, God is going to use you. Several times, God's charge is to be strong and courageous. See, He doesn't need you for His will to be done. But He created you and chose you so that He could use you to accomplish His will. Don't cower. Don't be afraid. Proclaim His glory. Share His worth. Explain our need for Him and what He's accomplished for us. You may not be called to another country. But each one of you are sovereignly placed here by God in the midst of who you are in the midst of. Your roommates, your teammates, your classmates. There's pilots, there's Pharisees, there's deceived people all around. Don't let them miss who Jesus is. Proclaim Him to those who've never heard of Him. And if they miss Christ, let's make sure it isn't because we didn't tell Him. Don't be silent. 
And finally, we come to the final person in this story that I want to talk about. And this interaction is really, really shows us the love of Jesus in his heart. As you look at this man, Barabbas, this man was a thief. He was a murderer. He had led a rebellion against Rome. This man was the man who was actually guilty of treason. He's the one who deserved to die. See, he was going to receive justice for his crimes. Jesus was innocent. But in this exchange, Jesus for Barabbas, we see that the guilty is set free and the innocent is put to death. The sinner is delivered and the sinless one is executed. And by nature, we are all Barabbases. We are all guilty, deserving of death, worthy of condemnation, condemnation without hope. And Jesus died for the guilty so that they might have hope. This is the only way we can be right with God. Pilate, the religious leaders, the crowd, even Barabbas, had a hope that it was in something other than the one true hope. And one day it would all come crashing down when reality hit. See, our only hope is if we grab hold of the truth of who Jesus is, what He truly accomplished for us, and acknowledge our need for Him. That's our only true hope. And as I read through this passage, my tendency is to, to cry out, that's unfair. I get angry in a sense that Jesus is treated like this. He's innocent. He does not deserve to die. Why can't people see this? Why can't Pilate see this? Why does Barabbas have to go free? And then I realize I needed Jesus to go through this. I needed Jesus to die for me. I needed the sinless one to die for the sin, full one. I needed the righteous one to die for the one who was guilty and should be condemned to death. And if these events don't happen, we have no hope. None. We all will perish in our sins. But because of Jesus' great love for His Father and His great love for His creation, the sinless died for the sinful. And the righteous died for the unrighteous. The guiltless died for the guilty. Let's pray. Father, thank you just does not seem appropriate. To understand what truly happened on the cross and the necessity of it for us to be right with you, to, for us to have a relationship with you. Lord, help us to understand these things. 
Help us to acknowledge our need for you. Help us to live a life that is not silent. Lord, I don't know where everybody is with, with you in this room. I pray for every soul that is here. Every soul that has eternity stamped upon it. That they would consider where they are with you. They would consider your life and your death and your resurrection and their need for you. I thank you for this college. I thank you for the men and women who work here. I thank you for the the young men and women who attend here. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon it. That you would create a, a sense and a knowledge of you that is infectious. I pray these things in Jesus' name.